Well, hello there. Welcome to the Frogs War Podcast. Uh, I am Jamie Plunkett. I'm mostly still Melissa Treewater. As far as we can tell. <laughs> and it is Wednesday, October 24th. The year of our Lord 2018. And TCU is a lot lighter uh, at the wide receiver position today than they were a couple days ago, Melissa. Well, not a lot. About 160 pounds lighter, at least. This is true. Uh, as far as physical weight goes, you know, thinking more along the lines of uh, imposing his will. And uh. maybe I shouldn't use phrases like that right now. Anyways, uh, Gavante Turpin is no longer with TCU, uh, as most of you know. Uh, we will get into that in just a minute. But, Melissa, it is Kansas week. The Frogs are sitting at 3-4 and four after a 52-27 to 27 loss to Oklahoma last weekend. And uh, it feels now with all of the stuff that's taken place this week with Turpin and with the news about Sean Robinson, which we'll also talk about, and some other uh, indications for other guys being out with in- injury uh, moving forward. Uh, you know, I'm concerned now that this team might not get to six wins. I would venture to say I'm confident they won't. I'm having a hard time finding a confident two wins on the remainder of this schedule at this point. Yeah, like, I mean. I don't feel good about Saturday. Oh. Like if there was a perfect storm of situation leading into a game against a really crappy team like Kansas where the Frogs could just be as distracted as possible. I mean, this has to be it, right? Yeah, I mean, you've had everything go wrong in your locker room. You've had a lot go wrong on the field. There really hasn't been a glimmer of hope since the second quarter of the Ohio State game. I mean, you know, sure, the the win against Iowa State was nice, but it wasn't like you looked at that team and said, oh, yeah, this is a team that's turned in the corner. It was like, oh, God, I just hope we survive. Uh, And now, now you're going on the road to a team that, for whatever reason, TCU has struggled with in at least five of seven matchups, right, or or four of six or whatever it is. I mean, there's last year was a a resounding victory. But other than that, these games, they tend to be really, really weird, especially up in Lawrence. And so you look at it, and, and I don't think any TCU fan is going, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not worried about Kansas. Because this could be kind of, I mean, it's not the death knell. To me, that will we'll be losing at Baylor and Waco. Uh, I mean, if we lose at Baylor at Waco, but, Melissa. but this, oh god, I, this is a this is a lost season in every sense of the word. And so, I guess what we're going to find out is is what do these young guys have as far as leadership and heart? Yeah, I don't see I, that. And that that point that you made right at the very end is the reason I don't think it's a completely lost season. Is because we do have an opportunity now to get some young guys some some playing time that really will, regardless of outcome of the game uh, itself, help them moving forward. Game experience is irreplaceable uh, when it comes to getting guys reps and getting them, you know, actually on the field in a game situation. You know, working through play calls and reading defenses and reading offenses and figuring out you know where you're actually supposed to be. So uh, I don't think the season is a totally lost cause because of that. And also because, you know, I, I, I am worried about getting to six wins. I, 
but I, there's still a path to it. Like if some guys step up and play well and, you know, it's not, it's not completely hopeless. Maybe that's just like the, the eternal optimist in me feeling that way. But, you know, the likelihood is, is that TCU still beats Kansas this weekend. Then they're sitting at four and four. And then you have a game against Kansas State, a game against uh, West Virginia, and which, you know, realistically, that's probably, that's probably a that's loss. That's a big then, OL. And then you have Baylor and Oklahoma State. And neither of those teams have been incredibly impressive this year. Neither of those teams have been incredibly consistent this year. Uh, they are kind of in the same mode as TCU. Yeah, Baylor looked really – they looked decent against Texas. They hung with Texas. Uh, was it last weekend, maybe two weekends ago? Um, yeah, two. But realistically, no team in the Big 12 outside of maybe UT and maybe Oklahoma are anything to write home about this year. And so even with all of the turmoil, I think TCU has a fighting chance. Um, obviously not against West Virginia, I don't think, but I, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to keep, I'm trying to hold out hope for some of these young guys to come in and be successful and maybe turn the, turn the corner from the season. Uh, but like one Longhorn fan came over and wrote on the site, uh, either today or yesterday, uh, you know, just take a shower, pretend like 2018 didn't happen. Keep your chin up for 2019 and, and, and get back on track. Uh, Is there anything worse than pity from a Texas fan? Oh, oh, I can think of a lot of things. You know, that guy was actually kind of reasonable. He was so <laughs> nice, but I hated him for it. Come oh, over like and mock it. us. But <laughs> I, you know, I appreciated it. It sounded like a guy who had recently been significantly humbled in his own fandom. And so yeah. maybe there are Texas fans out there who realize that, that they have not been world beaters yeah. lately. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, you make because of it. You make a good point that there are some winnable games on the season, but but at this point, wouldn't you rather tank, miss a bowl, and get a high draft pick for 2019? I mean, and it I would feel be like nice. it's probably a better strategy. Yeah, it would be nice uh, to be able to get like a lottery pick. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's working for the there, Mavericks, right? working yeah. for the Mavericks, right? With Dennis Smith Jr. and Luka Doncic this year, they're looking decent. So, yeah. well, you know, we and I think Luka somewhere. I think that, that you're right in saying that it's it's not like the the remaining schedule outside of that game at West Virginia. You look at it and you go, oh yeah, that we can't find three more wins, four more wins here. Um, but but at the end of the day, like it's not it's not always about who you play. True. It's about who you're rolling out there. And and the thing that's been the most disappointing to me about this TCU football team is there's no fire. Um, and, yeah. and I, I don't want to get in the minds of a bunch of 18, 22 year old dudes. Um, that sounds like a horrifying place to be, but, uh, there's just not, they're not able to impose their will. And I don't care if you are playing Kansas or if you're playing Baylor or if you're playing K State or if you're playing Oklahoma or you're playing Alabama. Like if you don't go out there with an attitude of, of we are going to compete to win this game. Nothing good is going to happen. And, and that's what we saw in that second half against OU. It's what we saw against Texas. It's what we saw against Texas Tech. I mean, there's just not – I don't think this team believes in itself. And the thing that's been the most disappointing is there's not – I don't think there's a group of guys in that <clears throat> locker room that's able that, – that's a type of leaders to get that out of them. Um, you know, I, I Scott, our, our buddy Scott kind of pointed us all to a really interesting Reddit thread this morning um, that some former, claiming to be former players, talking about the year before the Rose Bowl and the Rose Bowl year and, and just how those 
the seniors were willing to get up in guys' faces and they had a handle on the situation and they had guys under their thumbs and, and there was a respect and, and you just don't get that, which shocks me when you have guys like Ben Banigou and Ty Summers, um, you know, on the squad. It just, it doesn't seem like there is a group of guys that the rest of the team looks to and says, I'm going to follow this guy into the trenches and, and I'm going to lay it all on the line for him. And that, that just seems to be lacking from this team, which just shocks me because they're just such likable dudes. They are, and, you know, I think part of the issue, too, might just be the amount of seniors on this team, right? Because, yeah, like, not many. You, lo- you, look at the, you look at the full list of seniors, and realistically, uh, you've got guys, we'll talk about guys that are playing significantly. Like you said, you've got Ben Banigou, you've got uh, Ty Summers, you've got, uh, why is my roster going totally blank right now? Here we go. I mean, Jawan Johnson. Uh, got, is Jawan Johnson, but but Jawan Johnson just transferred in, right? So like, he has no, yeah. as far as we know. I mean, he doesn't really have the the reputation uh, yeah. of being present. Jarrison Stewart. You've got yeah, Jarrison Stewart and Jalen Austin have been hurt. Yeah, you know they've been yeah. dinged up. They've been dinged up. Nico Small hasn't been playing as a senior. Markel Simmons hasn't been playing as a senior. Rico Evans is losing his losing reps right now. You know, Banigou, uh You've got. Uh, Alec Dunham, who's a, a backup. Tony James might be a starter this week. Uh, Ridwan is another guy. But realistically, like, it isn't the biggest group of seniors who have been no. long-term contributors. Uh, I am a little surprised that guys like Banigou and Ty haven't been able to rally the troops. But at the same time, everybody around them is continuing to just drop like flies yeah. as far as injuries are concerned. Uh, you know, I, I will say that it doesn't always take seniors to step up and be leaders, but it feels like in Patterson's system, that's kind of just naturally how it always happens. Yeah. And so when we don't see a senior class that has, um, even from a size perspective, just that much weight, uh, then we tend to see, uh, situations like this you know i think it was in was it in 2016 the senior class was only like eight guys yeah and you know yeah. the frogs had a losing record in 2013 i think it was another year where the senior class was really small as far as contributors goes uh and and so it is seem it seems like it is cyclical uh for the frogs to encounter this kind of a situation uh it never really tends to get this bad i mean you, the number of injuries that tcu had in 2015 is still more than tcu's had this year but this year they're catching up real quick. Uh, and, well, and, and one other thing to point out there is that as you listed off those names, not a single one of those players was on the offensive side of the ball. No, you're right. Well, you've got Jarrison Stewart and you've got Jalen Austin that are both. Yeah, but, they, but they've been out. Yeah. But they haven't been playing much. Uh, and, and realistically at this point, whether it's injury related or not, they haven't been producing. Uh, so you've got to get some of those younger guys on the field. You know, John Stevens Jr. had an incredible catch against Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, and I really do think that had we seen, well, and I'll tell you how much, how, how right you were in a little bit about Michael Collins, but I think if he hadn't scraped up his hand uh, on that tackle out of bounds, uh, he might have, you know, we might have seen more from John Stevens Jr. We might have seen more from, from Michael Collins in the, in the second half of that game. But realistically, yeah. Melissa, this whole week, this whole episode really starts with, uh, now that we're, you know, several minutes in uh, with Kevontae Turpin uh, getting arrested on Sunday uh, for uh, allegedly assaulting 
and causing bodily injury to his girlfriend. Um, the details have been widely released. Uh, we tweeted about them from the Frogs War account a little bit. Um, but he was apparently, uh, allegedly, upset with his girlfriend for uh, texting pictures of herself to someone else. And so he grabbed her and dragged her across the parking lot and slammed her to the ground. Uh, she got away, got to a neighbor, called the police, and he was arrested. Patterson suspended him on Monday, uh, saying on his Big 12, uh, his weekly Big 12 conference call that he hadn't gotten a police report yet. And so Turpin was suspended indefinitely while they gathered more information. Uh, once they received that information, he was kicked off the team. Uh, and Patterson announced that Tuesday in his staff meeting or in his uh, press conference. But the thing that kind of really has captured people's attention now isn't the, the most recent incident with Turpin, but it's the fact that on Monday evening, news broke that Turpin was arrested for battery and for property damage in New Mexico back in March. Uh, and so questions started to arise around how much did TCU know about the March incident? Did they try and uh, ignore a battery charge on Turpin for the last several months as he went into a senior year? Um, and Patterson provided some clarity on that on, on uh, during his Tuesday press conference, too, saying that he heard about the incident when Turpin was late coming back from spring break, Patterson heard about the incident from another player, but just that there was an incident, not any details. And so he delegated to a staffer to go and do some research on what uh, that incident was. And the staffer brought back a report that said Turpin had been arrested for some property damage. Um, according to Patterson, that's all that was on the report. Uh, he trusted his staffer in that moment. Uh, to have done his job diligently. And um, the first time that Patterson and TCU heard about the battery charge was when it broke on Monday evening. Now, I, <clears throat> TCU also has has come out with this statement after this. Drew Davison from Fort Worth Star-Telegram has done some incredible reporting around this um, to say that TCU, TCU released an announcement, uh, a statement to say that they worked with a third party, third party website, uh, to gather this information, um, which leads to, I think some questions about process, uh, in, in this, the university's process for investigating these kinds of things. I wrote a piece about it on frogswar.com yesterday, uh, that Tuesday. Um, but Melissa, there have been, it seems several factions of TCU fans that are taking different, positions around all of this. Some want to just say, there's only so much you can do to investigate stuff like this. Patterson did all he could do. Stafford did all he could do. We just need to take it with a grain of salt and move on. Other folks are uh, incredibly upset and disappointed, and they're questioning whether you know TCU is telling the truth right now. Uh, and I think I find myself somewhere in the middle where I'm, you know, I have... I still am confident that if Patterson had known about the battery charge in March, Turpin would have been off the team immediately. Uh, but it is a little frustrating to to hear. We heard that there was something and we did uh, our due diligence via the internet to just research it. Now, I don't know the full process. Uh, we haven't been uh, made aware of the full process, but all TCU has said is, well, we've done this. We did this research through this, th this third party website and got this information. Um, so Melissa, I haven't really gotten to hear from you, uh, this week since you've been so busy, what your thoughts are about all of that. I mean, 
I have mixed feelings about it. You know, obviously they missed a pretty big red flag. Um, and, and that's something where you want your program to be above reproach and that if there's any incidents involving any type of uh, legal issues, that my expectation would be that you need to uh, do as much research as possible to, to figure out exactly what happened, that you need to do beyond your due diligence um, and and that they absolutely failed in, in not doing that. Um, the, the one thing that, that I'll say is is that I, I don't think Patterson is lying strictly for the reason that his track record um, has been fairly impeccable when it comes to handling disciplinary issues on in his program and on his team. I've always been a big believer that, uh, you know, when you've got 100 guys, 100 young men in a program, uh, some of them are going to be knuckleheads. And you're going to take some risks on guys and you're going to take some chances on guys and you're going to help by putting them in a positive environment that you get the best out of them, not the worst out of them. Uh, but, but things are going to happen. And it's not about bringing those guys in. It's about how you respond when things happen. And time and time again, TCU has shown that, that they will respond um, swiftly and, and I believe appropriately and, and that they take these matters very seriously. And Patterson, you know, puts his program above any individual player uh, time and time again. And so uh, I, I want, I don't want to rush to judgment um, in not knowing the full story. And I doubt we ever will know the full story there. Uh, but judging by Patterson's track record on these types of issues, I want to have faith that I don't, I don't think this falls on him. Um, and I, and I don't want to use the like, Oh, well it was a staffer's thing, like the Art Bryles excuse or whatever. Sure. Right. Like sure. I, he's the head coach and, and he needs to know what's going on. Um, but I actually saw, I think this was in the comments or it might've been on Twitter. Somebody made a pretty good point about like, it's, it's not like Turpin was a bad dude. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like he was getting in trouble around campus. He, he, you know, we all think we all not know he kind of comes from a tough area and, and a tough background, but it, it, it felt like a stretch when this news came out. Like it just, it felt like a, not not this dude, not this guy that's always smiling, that that loves football, and it just seems like such a just a happy, joyful person. Um, you can't excuse it. I mean, they let it go. They didn't do the work, but I don't think it was a purposeful cover up. I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, I hear you there, and I do, I don't think it was either. I just I think the the thing that this alerts the university to hopefully is that maybe they do need to put in place. A yeah. more comprehensive uh, process to say, you know, okay, when, when we get when we get this information, here here are three things that we're going to try and do to get more info about it. Um, and you know, that still isn't going to be a perfect process because there isn't a perfect yeah. process when you encounter something like this. But when it comes down to it, every university needs to be able to put themselves in a position where they can say, "We did everything we could." Not only to find out information when we received, uh, you know, kind of a tip that something was going on, but we did everything that we could to put this student athlete in a position to succeed. And without, uh, you know, without uh, making excuses for them, without trying to cover things up for them, without uh, allowing things uh, like this to continue uh, or to repeat themselves. Um, but realistically to do as right as they can by the student athlete and to do as right as they can, uh, you know, for the university. And it doesn't quite feel like TCU went as far as they could to gather all of that information. 
Um, but at some point, and, and that you, you mentioned this, at some point, you've got to trust the people under your employ to do the job you've given them to do. Um, and so it is, it is a fine line like you were talking about, but I, I do think that, uh, I, I think that the positive that can come away from this is TCU is, can, can probably figure out a little bit more of, of, an, of a process moving forward. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my expectation is they do better next time. Yeah. And you know, TCU is one of um, not many schools that, that does run full background checks on all of mm-hmm. their, their recruits and their signees. And, and so it's not like they've been avoiding this right. for years. Um, but but I, I think it's impossible to argue that they mishandled this situation, whether it was willfully or uh, accidentally is probably not something that we'll ever know. We'll hope that it's willful and based off of Patterson's track record. I don't think that's a, a massive jump to take. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they've got to be better next time. That's, that's really what it comes down to is, is what's done is done. You can't change that. Don't make the same mistake twice. Yep. And now TCU will be without their best kick returner of all time and without their second best wide receiver this year, uh, because he's done. Patterson said as much. He's not coming back. He can't do that kind of stuff and hang around at TCU. So. Yeah. And, and I think we'd be remiss in, in not mentioning that, you know, that, that from a football perspective, this is devastating, but. But obviously, for for the young woman involved mm-hmm. in this incident, it's far more devastating. And and also, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't feel sorry for Turpin making a terrible decision. Um, but I, I think it's okay to to have a little hurt in your heart for a young man that this was his way out. Yeah. And um, you know, he really threw away a, a golden opportunity. He was beloved in the locker room, as Patterson stated. Obviously, an absolute fan favorite. Um, just, just a kid that this just, it's just, I'm crestfallen, um, for the, for the victim first and foremost, without, you know, that, that goes without saying, but I don't, I don't think it doesn't mean that we can't just be just devastated for all parties involved and for the families too. It just, just sucks. It just sucks, man. Yeah. My deep insight. Yeah. You know, I got, I got a text (laughs) from someone we talked about this a little bit and, and, you know, he said the last thing he said about it was, you know, all that said as a bad, as bad of a day as it has been for TCU fans, uh, it's been a lot worse for, for the woman that, that Turpin uh, did that to you. Um, and we can't let that get lost in all of this. And and you're absolutely absolutely right. We can't, you know, uh, violence uh, of any kind, in my opinion, is unwarranted. Uh, and when it, is domestic abuse of that nature. Uh, we've just got to equip people to, to handle their emotions uh, in, in a yeah, different manner. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard. You know, I was talking about this with a parent of one of my youth, too, who plays football. And, you know, they the, the expectation with football players is that they are physically violent and physically aggressive in a, in a controlled way uh, between the whistles. And so what yeah. happens then when the you know the game is over and they still have all of these emotions and they're allowed to manifest them one way uh, in in the middle yeah. of the football game and and then they have to deal with them in a completely different way uh when they're off the field i don't know that that kids and young men are always equipped to process those things like they should no. you know a football coach yeah, they're uh, not. a football coach's yeah. job is to get them to channel all of that energy and all of those emotions in a specific way on the football field but what are most coaches doing off of the field to help those guys realize that hey you know this is a game and yeah we can do this kind of stuff here but realistically like you have to be able to manage emotions off the field in a completely different way i think generally patterson and his staff do a, a really wonderful job 
of sticking with guys and helping equip them in that way. Uh, obviously, like you said, there are always going to be guys, uh, who, who just, that doesn't take for whatever reason, or they just, you know, they do what they do. Um, but realistically, I, you know, I think that's one of the things that is really sad about this is that it is uh, a sport that is naturally, naturally violent. Uh, and, and then the expectation is, is completely opposite for those same players once they step off the field. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we, we put these young men in, in impossible situations and we expect them to handle things like adults without giving them the tools yeah. to do so. And then you bring in, you know, the mental illness that's coming from the head trauma and the CTE and all these things that we're learning. And, and it, it just, it gets harder and harder mm-hmm. not to think about all the consequences of loving the game of football every year. And, and that's, I mean, I think that's something that, that we're going to see um, this this country and young people really come to terms with over the next couple of years. I mean, numbers are down nationwide in youth football. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being in a, in a private school league like I am, uh, numbers are, are down in most of the private schools. Fielding JV teams has become more and more difficult because it's, you know, parents are making these decisions for these young people at that age and are just weighing the risk versus the reward and, it's going to be interesting to see how the game of football evolves uh, long-term, especially at the youth level. Yeah, it, it really will be. Uh, you know, and there will always be that contingency of folks who are like, well, we might as well just put flags on them. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I won't be surprised that that's yeah. the next, at least at in, in some, at some ages and some levels and in some of the smaller schools, I, I won't be surprised if we're playing flag football at some of these smaller schools in the next five years. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't be shocked either. Uh, but there's there's more than just this to talk about tonight. Um, you know, we got some more news on Tuesday as well regarding Sean Robinson. Uh, he is out for the for the year. Uh, he is having season-ending surgery. Uh, Patterson said on Tuesday that it could have probably happened after the Iowa State game, but Robinson and his parents had a conversation and made the decision to try and gut it out. Um, and and now at this point in time where you've seen a little bit from Michael Collins uh, that, that affords Robinson the opportunity to really go and get this surgery done and get right and be able to compete again for the starting job in 2019. Um, but that puts TCU in a weird predicament as far as quarterback goes, because behind Michael Collins, Melissa, uh, you've got Grayson Muelstein as the primary backup. And behind him, you've got a Justin Rogers who is almost cleared to play. But is you know Patterson said his knee is completely healthy, but he's he's got a little drop foot right now, uh, and yeah. I don't know if there are any Cowboys fans that listen to the podcast. But if you're a Cowboys fan, think of the name Jalen Smith and think of the reason that he wasn't right for the first two years of his collegiate career. Uh, yeah, he had the knee injury from Notre Dame his senior season, and then he had drop foot, and that took longer for him to recover from almost than it did for him to recover from major knee surgery. So realistically, we're talking about a timeline here that we aren't sure what it is for Justin Rogers to kind of get over this drop foot issue. Uh, but if he can't go, and God forbid something happens to Collins, we're talking about it. We're talking about a TCU team that probably has the mule as its starter for a little while. Well, and, and maybe maybe that's what we all needed to see. <clears throat> maybe Grayson has been bi- that dude has been biding his time for going on five mm-hmm. years. Maybe it's his time to shine. Maybe. Who knew? The pride of Decatur, Texas. 
Uh, you know, I think that, that uh, first and foremost, um, you know, again on this, like Sean Robinson with all of the crap he was taking from fans, with all of the crap he was taking nationally, with every reporter saying he wasn't good enough, um, and that kid still being willing to try to gut it out and play through it says yeah. an awful lot about his character. For sure. Um, I, I think that, that, you know, and, and I've seen a lot of the fan base kind of come around here over the last couple of days of, you know, like being appreciative that he tried to keep going. And I think that says too that they were willing to, and, and it sounds like it was very clearly his and his parents' decision, but that the offensive staff believed in this kid enough that thought that even a not fully right Sean Robinson was still the best option at quarterback, I think says a lot about what Sean Robinson might ultimately be capable of doing long term. But um, I liked what I saw out of Mulestein before, I mean, um, out of Collins before he got hurt. Um, you know, obviously that, that nasty looking blister probably had a lot to do with, with his uh, lack of accuracy in the second half of that game. Um, but we still don't know what we have in Michael Collins, do we? No. Uh, we saw some really nice things, but we have no idea what that kid's going to look like for four quarters on Saturday. And that's a really, really horrifying thought. Um, that being said, we wanted it. You know, mm-hmm. we called for it, and, and now it's happening. And so all you can do is roll the ball out and, and see what he's got. And I, I think he's a smart player. He's a heady player. He's a film room guy. Um, he's not going to be the dynamic, explosive offensive weapon that, that maybe Sean Robinson is. But that doesn't mean that he can't go out there and, and maybe make some smart plays and, and just not make mistakes and, and hopefully get a win against a team that even this version of TCU is, is infinitely better than. Oh, for sure. You know, and I do think the blister had a lot to do with his hand in the second half against Oklahoma. I mean, Patterson said as much, like he couldn't grip the ball very well. And that obviously affected his throwing. He was only three for 12 in the second half. He didn't complete any of his last eight pass attempts. Uh, After he, I think he completed like three of five on the first TCU drive of the third quarter that resulted in their final field goal, their final points of the day. Um, And then beyond that, he was over eight passing the ball. So um, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we saw his hand in the post-game press conference and he had all that kind of fake skin gel stuff on it that was on his hand and it was flapping around. And, uh, but blisters heal pretty quickly. So hopefully, you're right, hopefully he is he is back and he's ready to rock. Because when he was good on, on Saturday in that second quarter, he was really good. You know, I yeah. think in a, in a moment of euphoria right after he threw that long touchdown pass to Jalen Rager and then on the next possession – uh, stiff-armed a guy into infinity uh, just <laughs> to, you know, pushed him down and ended his career, basically. I think I tweeted an all-cap suite where I was having a, a momentary Andy Dalton flashback because it's really kind of what it reminded me <laughs> of is just that, you know, that beautiful ball accuracy and then the ability to move uh, a little bit more than the defense expects you to be able to move. And if he can, if he can do that for four quarters, then, then I feel really confident about this offense sure. moving forward, even with all of the injuries on defense that really raised some big question marks about how good that thing's going to be moving forward. Uh, yeah. You know, you've got um, Nico Small, who won't play again this week. You've got Ennis Gaines, who's out for the season. You've got a banged-up uh, Garrett Wallow, who didn't start against Oklahoma because he was hurt. That's why Jawan Johnson started. But then Garrett had to end up playing strong safety for most of the game even though he was hurt, until he just couldn't go anymore, is what Patterson said after the OU game. You've got uh, injuries probably. You, you've got your, your starting corners who are both uh, banged up and Jeff Gladney and Julius Lewis, and, and there's kind of some rumblings around, around whether or not those guys are going to play on Saturday. 
uh, which leaves you with, you know, Tony James and Noah Daniels and who else at cornerback if one of those guys goes down. And so you're at a point now where four of your five expected starters in your secondary are injured, if not already out for Saturday against Kansas. Ridwan Isahaku is the only guy left standing back there from that original five. Plus you don't have Ross Blacklock. Plus you have a banged up Garrett Wallow. And Jawan Johnson did not look good in pass coverage on Saturday. Not many, not no. many Horn Frogs did, but Jawan Johnson especially looked bad in pass coverage against against Oklahoma on Saturday. Uh, you know, and, and we saw a lot of Mike Epley too against Oklahoma. I don't know if the if, if there's something wrong with LJ Collier or if that was just a strategic move to get him some more experience. But um, yeah, things are things are looking kind of grim defensively right now for this team as far as personnel goes. To say the least. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really, uh, it's an interesting thing because you, you go up against the worst offense that you've seen all season, mm-hmm. um, other than whatever version of Iowa State they decided to roll out. Thank God. Uh, God, just, you lost that, had lost that game. I think we're looking at no chance of bowl eligibility right now, which is interesting, yeah. but, uh, that's a conversation for another day. Um, but you know, again, it goes back to these young guys. I mean, TCU has recruited some great athletes on the defensive side of the ball the last couple of years. And in addition to some of the dynamic skill players that they brought in, like this is still a Gary Patterson recruited defense. And you've got young guys like Kendrick Van Zant. You've got guys uh, like Trayvon Moore Woodard, who has looked really, really good. Uh, you've got a Darius Washington who hasn't really played much, but was someone that Patterson spoke highly of in, in uh, the preseason uh, you've got Vernon Scott, who's gotten a lot of snaps and hasn't quite found his his groove, but but clearly has the talent to play. And so uh, it's going to be make or break time against these guys. And what better team to get your feet really wet against than a very incompetent Kansas offense that just got rid of their offensive coordinator, who PCU fans are familiar with, and has a quarterback kind of um, and just doesn't do a whole lot well against good competition on that side of the ball. And so – if this team can come out and, and hold Kansas to a couple of touchdowns or hold them to, you know, a handful of field goals or whatever, then then maybe the offense does enough with, with a, a Michael Collins who the one thing I'll say about him is that dude's playing like he's got nothing to lose because at this point he doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, th- there was something really freeing about seeing him go, oh, Jalen Rager's one of the best wide receivers in the country. Let me just throw it out there for him and see what happens. Like, that's kind of how we, we need our quarterback to play. I mean, Sean was playing scared, and part of that was because he was under pressure constantly, but part of that also, too, was he, he got the yips. He looked like he was afraid of making mistakes. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess it's it's fun. I, we can talk ourselves into it being fun to get excited about these young players and kind of that next iteration of PCU um, because at that point, that might be the best thing we have going for us. Yeah, realistically, you know, is just see what the young guys can do, and even they might, they might go out there and surprise you. Obviously, Trevon Morig Woodard uh, is seems to be a really good find for this team as a true freshman uh, in the secondary. He had yeah. a pretty good game against Oklahoma. Patterson named a couple of mistakes that he made, made but said he's really going to be a, a great player down the road. Um, and you do get a big player back. Well, and- oh, go ahead. And well, I was to say, when Patterson starts calling you out for your mistakes, that's when you know that you're in a good spot because he's he's calling you out so that you know to fix them because he's going to keep playing oh, yeah. you. You're going to get another chance oh, yeah. to right the ship there. So, you know, and Trevon Morg Woodard uh, just physically looks, he fits the part. Yeah. You know, walk, he looks, does not field, look like a freshman. Walking down on the field uh, after the game, he walked right past me 
and I'm six three. Like I'm not a short person by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and, and he, yeah, he was in cleats and a helmet, but he had me by probably two inches. So like, he's a big dude back yeah, there he's a big dude. Uh, and yeah. he can move. So, you know, that's, yeah, you know, really there's can. some young talent. Noah Daniels obviously is a really exciting player at cornerback too, just to see him, you know, he played really well against Ohio state. He played well uh, when he came in for Gladney and for, for Julius Lewis against Oklahoma. Um, so that's another guy to, to really get, get excited about. I think though know, a guy that return that returns on Saturday that TCU fans can get excited about too is is Cordell Luwaglu should be back and should be playing at left guard for the Frogs and realistically like we've witnessed this offensive line just not perform up to snuff since he's been out he got hurt uh, early on actually oh dear sorry I don't know what just happened but it was loud they're excited wow they're excited about Cordell coming yeah. back. Uh, yeah, they were. <clears throat> hey. Huh. Interesting. Hopefully that wasn't like my garage flooding and crashing or something. Oh, was that a big that loud noise like. or something? Yeah. Oh, God. I don't even care anymore. We'll deal with it later. Hopefully you built an art because I don't think the rain's ever going to stop. Um, no, definitely not. But yeah, Iwagu should be back on Saturday, too. And so that would be really helpful for the Frogs uh, from an offensive line perspective simply because they haven't been blocking well lately. So one of the ways oh, one of the ways to help out a quarterback is to establish the run and you know keep him clean. Uh, so maybe maybe we see a little bit more from Shewo and you know God forbid we see more from from Darius Anderson. Uh, you know, whereas that you know Patterson said he has he's been struggling in pass protection lately, but you know the guy doesn't have to block in pass protection if you just hand him the football, and so that would be nice to see. Um, but yeah, you're right. Kansas is a bad team. They're two and five. The offense is stagnant. They fired Doug Meacham, and things have just gotten worse since they fired him. Fans want David Beatty fired. Uh, you know, they've just hired a new athletic director this year, and Jeff Long. So maybe he'll do something. Maybe he won't. Um, he'll do something. He'll do something. <laughs> uh, but you know, after that win against Rutgers, everybody was talking about, oh, maybe Kansas will show us something this year. And here they are. They're two and five. They look awful. Peyton Bender has not been good at quarterback. Their defense is giving up chunks on chunks on chunks of yards, every possession to opposing offenses. And realistically, you know, their only bright spot as a team is Puka Williams. Their running back has 620 rushing yards, seven yards per carry, four rushing touchdowns this year. Uh, and so he might be a guy that helps keep Kansas in it simply because of how bad TCU has been against the run. Um, but realistically, Melissa, you know, the more I started to look at this game, the better I felt about Kansas or the better I felt about TCU playing Kansas simply because it, even with all of these injuries, even with all of the turmoil surrounding the team, like the frogs are just better. They're just a better team. Well, they are, but they were a lot better in 2014 and they were a lot better in 2016 and they were a lot better in 2017. And I don't know what it is about this team but TCU does not play well against Kansas, and they don't play well against Kansas and Lawrence. True. And and so I mean, and I think there's no question on paper. I mean, TCU's favored by 13 and a half. I think yeah. last I checked. So so everybody believes that TCU is going to win this game easily. But man, there's just not a lot that's gone right that makes you feel like this is going to be anything but a total madcap adventure on Saturday afternoon and. I think the Frogs will win. I think that 
you know, one of the things we, we hear Patterson talk a lot about is circling the wagons, and this is absolutely a circle of the wagons opportunity. Uh, I think that they will be close, that they're going to shut everybody else out. I think Michael Collins is a guy that can kind of rally the troops, and, and the team got really excited around him on Saturday. And so as long as the Frogs can avoid, you know, the, the devastating turnover, they're going to be sloppy a little bit with the football. I mean, there's just too many new pieces not to be. But if they can avoid the devastating turnover and Ben or Ty or LJ or one of those guys that you expect to come up and make a big play can make a, a an impact play on, on defense, then – the frogs will be fine. They won't be pretty, but I, I still think they find a way to get it done. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, you got to get this one because after this one, I don't know how well TCU matches up against everyone else. You know, so we'll see. Yeah, it's. I mean, Kansas State is getting in a little bit of a groove. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma is probably the only team that is is more Jekyll and Hyde than the mm-hmm. frogs, but. Uh, yeah, th- this is one that you've got to build some positive momentum. You have to have something good happen to you this week because the thing that we haven't talked about with all the negative fallout of everything that's been going wrong around this program is, you know, recruiting has been impacted. Uh, you're not only for this year, but, but going forward, you're seeing Texas has picked up a lot of positive momentum and, and the frogs just need a win. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they need a, a win on the football field. They need a win off the field. They, they just need to bring back some positivity to their program and get, right the ship a bit and, and keep moving forward. Yeah. And it all starts Saturday. So Patterson is a good motivator, you know, sometimes having a game to play and have, having something for your team to focus on helps you kind of tune out all of the other noise and all of the other distractions and everything yeah. else that's been going on around you. So maybe we see that from this team on Saturday, maybe they come out focused and they come out, you know, kind of just locked in on the task at hand, which is beating Kansas. Uh, they've all been tweeting out these cool graphics with, uh, you know, them and the hashtag beat KU all day. So maybe they're, that's yeah. just part of the whole overall plan, but from the coaching staff to really get these guys recentered and refocused and ready to finish yeah. out the season on a high note. Really, really nice job by TCU football marketing to, to, to do that. Like that's just a really, really smart oh, play yeah. in, in this moment and get your guys back focused on track. Um, and I'm just so, I always just love what they do. So I thought that was a nice touch. Smart play. Uh, definitely a smart play. Uh, and we're going to get into picks in a second, Melissa, but something that's not on the run sheet that I think we should talk about uh, is uh, related to TCU basketball. So the AP poll. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good thing. Let's talk about something fun for a second. The the Horn Frog basketball program three years ago was a dumpster fire. So they fired their head coach and hired Jamie Dixon, and now coming into 2018-19 basketball season, TCU is the preseason number 20 team in the Associated Press poll. I think that's pretty freaking cool. I think it's awesome. Uh, When's the last time? I I did not do the research here, but when is the last time TCU has been ranked in the preseason? It has been a while, I would imagine. It's only happened once. I believe it was prior to the 1998 season. They were ranked 24th. Wow, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, that sounds. That's uh, so, yeah. I was in college then. It's old. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's super exciting. Um, they're obviously going to breeze right past that. Um, there are uh, so many reasons to get excited about this team. Uh, you've got you've got the you, you lose you know one of the all time fan favorites and and Kendrick Williams and one of the country's most underrated players annually and and Vlad, but. What you get is a really solid group of returning veterans, uh, guys that 
that have shown they can play on the big stage, they can play in big moments, they can compete at the highest level of Big 12 basketball. And then you infuse them with the rarest of all rare things, and that is four redshirt freshmen. You are not going to see many collegiate basketball programs around the country, especially D1 programs, that are going to bring in four redshirt freshmen the same year. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. And so you've got four guys that have been practicing with the team, that have been around the program, that have been around the culture, that have learned from guys like Vlad and Kenny, that have learned from guys like Desmond, Quat, and Alex, uh, that have just been a part of that community now for at least a semester and a half, if, if not a full year and a half. So um, that infusion of that talent, along with true freshmen like Caden Archie, who everyone in the Frogs of War Spot channel is just super, super hype about, uh, it has the potential to – to really be a, a springboard type of season that, that could end in something special. Uh, making the tournament is no longer the goal. It's the expectation, mm -hmm. which is a crazy thing to say. Uh, and, and making a run into maybe potentially being in a Sweet 16 doesn't seem unrealistic or, or really that far off. Uh, knocking Kansas off the top here uh, might be a little bit more of a challenge, but uh, I'm pumped, man. I can't wait for November 7th. Uh, th this is gonna. This is exactly the kind of thing that we all need to get us through the rest <laughs> of this basketball football season. Yeah, it is. And, you know, yeah. like you said, they expect to win now. Alex Robinson said as much during, during their media availability last week. Uh, when he came, they were happy to win, and now they expect to. And the, the just the transformation that has happened in such a short amount of time under Jamie Dixon is an incredible thing to see because even in even in college basketball where where things can swing so quickly because of one or two good players or a coaching change or something like that we still don't see transformations take place as a like pro, from a program perspective this quickly and so it's it's a testament yeah. to Jamie Dixon it's a testament to Chris Del Conte doing what it what he needed to do to get Dixon here as a head coach uh, and, and it's a credit to the players who all bought in from day one and said, we're going to work yeah. for this guy. We're going to, we're going to trust in his system. We're going to buy in. Uh, and it, and it really has come to fruition. And I will say every time that Dixon gets asked about, about, you know, the transformation that has happened, he does point back to the foundation that Trent Johnson laid and, and that can't yeah. go ignored. I think because for, for the lack of wins, Trent Johnson, was a good head coach when it came to, uh, I mean, you never saw a TCU basketball team quit under him, even if they were getting no. thumped. And you never heard any bad things about these guys off the court. They took care of business in the classroom. Mm -hmm. They worked their butts off in the gym every day. And that continued under Jamie Dixon. And that's the foundation that I think can largely go ignored simply because of the lack of success. Uh, under under Trent Johnson, but but realistically, Dixon Dixon does name that quite often to say, you know, the, when he came in, he was incredibly impressed by the work ethic of all of the guys that were on the team at that time, uh, and of course, you had guys like Kenrich and Vlad and uh, a couple guys that came before them that really did kind of set the tone and set the table. Brandon Parrish being another one who who yeah. really already kind of had this thing turning in the right direction, people probably just didn't realize it yet. Well, it's it's a complete opposite of what we're seeing in football right now and that you have this really, really strong leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it starts with the players. Like Jamie Dixon, Gary Patterson, Jim Schwarzenegger, you cannot question the leadership, motivational ability, and just general knowledge of how to run a program with any of yeah. those guys. But where you go to that next level is when you have – 
players that buy it. And, and the guy we have not mentioned who is, who deserves as much credit as anybody here is J.D. Mm-hmm. Miller. I mean, he's the only four-year player in the TCU basketball program right now. He's the only guy that's been there, you know, since his freshman year. And so uh, he's a guy who, who has been alternately a guy playing 30-plus minutes a game and a guy playing 12 minutes a game. And he has been the same person on and off the court in both situations. And and that's just the kind of buy-in you have. Alex Robinson is is one of the most uh, uh, genuine and uh, high-character guys you're going to find in college basketball. Uh, and and that, is, that mentality transfers over to the team. Uh, Desmond Bain uh, is is a wonderful leader and a really solid human being. Quatnoy, we've seen a lot of his personality on social media over the offseason. He obviously has a lot of natural leadership abilities, just such an engaging guy. And, and so this is a team that seems super, super tight-knit, that have a lot of respect for the older guys, but that also seems to empower younger players. I mean, Jalen Fisher and Desmond Bain were, were leaders going into last season as true sophomores and, and are only going to take that next step forward, I think, their junior year. So uh, don't want to get too, you know, over our skis here in the preseason before, you know, the ball tips off for the first time. But I don't think there's any any reason for TC fans not to be very cautiously optimistic that this could be a team that, that should compete near the top of the Big 12, which is still the best conference in, in college basketball, and should expect to get to March and, and, and hopefully, you know, get that elusive first-round win that, that we haven't seen in a while. Absolutely. You know, the Frogs are one of four teams from the Big 12 to show up on the preseason AP poll. Uh, Kansas was number one. Kansas State was ranked 12th, and West Virginia was 13th. They're going to be so okay. this is going to be a really Kansas State is going to be yeah, so and, good. and you know you obviously we've got a, a guy in Parker uh, Fleming who does some incredible uh, deep dive data analysis for football and basketball, and so he was telling us some really incredible stuff the other day, just about the depth of the program. When you talk about uh, every single Big Twelve team is in the top, I think sixty five as far as as uh, Ken Palm goes, which is absolutely absurd uh, for just depth of, of program. Depth or depth of the conference, and just for the kind of the gauntlet that TCU is going to have to run, starting with Baylor once once Big Twelve play picks up in January. Uh, but this is as excited as I've been for a basketball team in a long time, and I know I probably said the same thing before last season too. But it just keeps building. It was true last yeah. season too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm, <clears throat> I'm I'm working on kind of a, a very general preview piece here that hopefully someday I'll get to finish. Um, that it's just been so oh, yeah. much this week. Um, but, but just kind of going off of Patterson or uh, Dixon's press conference, uh, yesterday and, and just kind of his expectations and how he sees the program. And what I love about him is much like Gary Patterson is while he knows he's got something special brewing, he refuses to be overly excited about it until those guys go out and prove something. And, and I think that's the same mentality that the players have too. So, uh, they, they expect to not compete anymore. They expect to win. And so it's going to be really fun to turn them loose and, Man, this offense is going to score a lot of points. Yes. You will be entertained if you go to a TCU basketball game this year, for sure. Yes, and, and realistically, on the other side of things, they're probably going to let other teams score a lot of points. And a so, little bit. Until they develop a record. It's going to be, yeah, it's gonna be a very uh, high-scoring, exciting, fireworky kind of affair in, in, in the Sholly this year. Yeah, I, I will say I think the defense is going to be a little bit better than people are saying. You think? You think I, I just I, I think that the defense. Come in and- I think Kevin Samuel can he can be a, a rim protector. He can get the job done. Um, and I, I think there's going to be we're going to see somebody step up. Uh, one of the young guys is is going to be ready to to be a little bit more of a rim protector. I mean, these guys are bigger than mm-hmm. Vlad. 
you know, we, we don't have Kendrick Williams, you know, and obviously that deeply impacts rebounding and, and defense. But what we, like, again, you know, defense is a character thing. These guys are all good enough athletes. We have the size at every position. Guys like Quatnoy can be a great defender. Desmond Bain can be a great defender. Latman can be a great defender. Um, if those guys are willing to step up and, and maximize their effort, and I think there's enough depth on this team offensively to where they can give 100% on both ends of the floor and then, you know, get their two, three minutes of rest. Uh, if those guys are willing to put in the effort, which I expect them to, I, I think this defensive, they can go get stops when they need to, for sure. Well, I hope you're right. It's, I mean, well, it's going to be fun right. no matter what to watch this team play this year. Oh, man, I can't wait. So much better than football. I mean, I still love football, but so much better yes. than football. But speaking of football, <laughs> uh, TCU and Kansas obviously play, and there are a bunch of pretty interesting games happening this weekend, uh, both inside the Big 12 and out around in the country. Uh, so let's talk about a couple of those and, and make some picks starting with uh, Baylor traveling up to Morgantown to play West Virginia on Thursday night. Uh, Baylor looked pretty good against Texas. West Virginia obviously faltered against Iowa State. Uh, Do you think that this is a game where the Bears can come into Morgantown and upset West Virginia? No. I mean, I I think Baylor is is really starting to do some things well. Charlie Brewer is quietly putting together a really, really nice sophomore campaign at quarterback. They've got some offensive weapons. Uh, they can do some things. The defense is still kind of a disaster, but uh, they're not there yet, but they are capable of winning games. Um, and that's why, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that that November tilt at, in Waco scares me to death. Um, they're not going to do it against West Virginia, but I think they'll make they'll make it a look look pretty good in the first half before the ears pull away late. Yeah, I I, I take West Virginia in this one. I, I agree with you. I think Charlie Brewer's had a pretty pretty good uh, sophomore year, um, but they're still they're missing quite a bit. I think on on the defensive side of the ball, and yeah. uh, I think West Virginia gets back on track again. Uh, you have Texas Tech traveling to uh, Brock Purdy Land up in Ames, Iowa, to to face the Cyclones. Uh, Tech looked good against Kansas. Uh, they obviously are on a couple game winning streak now. Do they continue that winning streak against the Cyclones, or does Iowa State uh, continue to rack up wins? Uh, Matt Campbell will forever be kicking himself for not starting Brock Purdy one game earlier. Oh my gosh. Uh, that, that dude is going to yep. be a problem. Um, he, he is a real problem. You talk about Andy Dalton. <laughs> he, he's kind of got that Andy Dalton with maybe mm-hmm. a bigger arm. So, um, I, I think Texas Tech is, I think Texas Tech is going to wreck Texas's season, but that's going to be the high point of their, of their year. They're, they're going to, they're going to get rolled by there Iowa State. Moving right along. I agree, by the way. I think Iowa State wins. It might be a close game just because I think Tech's offense is incredibly potent, but uh, the Cyclones shut down West Virginia, and they were one of the best offenses in the country coming into that game. Kansas State heads to Oklahoma. Oklahoma has significant problems against the run, and Kansas State only exclusively runs the football. Um, But I don't think that's going to be nearly enough for for the Wildcats to upset Oklahoma. No, Kansas State can't run the ball unless they pull a pull a full army on this thing, which they won't. Um, yeah, this is an easy one for OU. Texas travels to Stillwater. Any kind of upset potential there? Scary game. Scary game. Stillwater around Halloween. I mean, I, that's that's you've got to have your guard up a little bit, especially with the banged up uh, Sam Ellinger. Um, Texas is is taking just a small step back. 
I think they think they win, but I think they get a really, really good scare by the Pokes up in Stillwater this weekend. Uh, and then last but not least, TCU travels to Lawrence. What's your prediction for that game? Yeah. Uh, they just look at each other across the sidelines. Dave Beatty and Gary Patterson look longingly, and they just say, you know what? Let's just call it a tie and, and go home happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would it just it would save us all a lot of pain. Um, I, I think TCU wins. I, I think it's really ugly. I think that we could be looking at the identical Iowa State TCU score of 17-14 Frogs. Uh, and at this point, I'd be fine if we won 3-2. to two. So, this is a Gary Patterson vintage win by one. He's going to get just enough out of his guys to fend off a Kansas State team that smells blood in the water and, and get the W. But don't expect to enjoy watching this one one bit, Frog fans, until the final whistle. I think TCU wins, and I think Michael Collins' hand is good enough for him to throw the ball around a little bit. Give me TCU to cover in this game. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Yeah, you heard it here first. I like your optimism. Uh, moving on to a couple games outside of the Big 12 heading uh, heading into Saturday. You've got uh, a top 10 matchup all of a sudden uh, when the Florida Gators and the Georgia Bulldogs get together for, what is it, the biggest tailgate in America or something? The, the fa- Wait, fanciest? Florida is in the top 10? Florida is ranked number nine. <laughs> this season is so dumb. <laughs> Isn't it? It is such a dumb college football season. There is one great team in college football, a bunch of pretty good teams, and then a, just a crap load of average in the top 25. Wow. Yeah. Florida, Florida Gators are ranked ninth at 6-1, and one, <laughs> one spot ahead of Central Florida, two spots ahead of Ohio State, who dropped all the way to 11 in the AP Top 25 after that whipping they took at the hands of Purdue last week. <sighs> and Georgia, yeah, still sitting there at number seven. Both teams are 6-1. and one. Yeah, because who else? Who else are you going to put up there? There's nobody. You got nothing, no. man. Here's I mean, weird. let's be uh, real. Kentucky is 12th. Yeah, yeah. And Georgia's not very good. They don't have a running game. Jake Fromm has come back to earth. Their defense isn't quite as dominant as it was a year ago. They're better than Florida, but it's this is not a team that you look at and be like, oh, man, on any given Saturday, I think they could win. Uh, it's more like, a, oh, on any given Saturday, they could definitely uh, crap the bed here. And, and I don't expect them to do that this week, but just mostly because I really don't believe in Florida. Um, but I, I just, it'll, it'll be a, another really exciting SEC game that is like, you know, 20 to 14 or something. Yeah, I think Jake from State From gets, gets going in this game and, the, and Georgia kind of rolls a little bit because I agree. I don't think Florida's as good. Uh, as everybody thinks they are, they got away with a win against LSU, but that LSU team just, I don't know if they played that game again, Florida would, yeah, lose, they're not Florida, losing that Florida would lose that game yeah. if they played LSU again. Yeah, um, for sure. Big 10, Big 10 land, you know, they don't have uh, an undefeated team anymore. And, uh, you know, now they're starting to, you're starting to ask questions about multiple conferences uh, about whether or not they're going to have a representative in the college football playoff and arguably one of uh, of the Big Ten's best hopes still is Penn State, and they're sitting at five and two, uh, and they're playing an Iowa team, or I guess Iowa six and one. So you've got a, a ranked opponent uh, in Iowa traveling to Penn State to play in Happy Valley. Both of Penn State's losses have come at home this year, which is a little odd. Uh, the loss at home to Ohio State, and then that weird loss at home to Michigan State. Um, who do you have in this game, Iowa, going to Penn State? 
Uh, Penn State mostly because I don't think I can name a single player on Iowa's team, and I don't know how they continually find ways to win eight to uh, ten games every year without anyone knowing anything about them. Um, here's here's the thing, is, yeah, about Iowa Iowa right now. Obviously, they're six and one. They're alone losses to Wisconsin, which isn't looking like a great loss right now. But that's that. If they beat Penn State on Saturday, here's their remaining record. They go to Purdue. They're home oh, against Northwestern. Home against Northwestern at Illinois, home against Nebraska. Mm. We could realistically, if they beat Penn State, obviously Purdue is a pretty good football team, but they're four and three, and so they've got some question marks. If Iowa beats Penn State, they could go eleven and one and lose in, in the, the Big Ten championship to Ohio State. Yeah, and Ohio State would then be in the college football playoffs as a one-loss team. Yep, unless they lose to Michigan. Which is likely. I mean, at that, at that point, you know, maybe Michigan gets in because they're 7-1 and one right now. They're ranked fifth in the country. Yeah. And they but, beat Iowa. But Jim Harbaugh is oh, – Michigan hasn't beaten Iowa. They they beat uh, – No, but they'd, be, they'd play Iowa in the oh, Big Ten Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, but Jim Harbaugh is like 1-5 against Michigan State – or I guess 2-5 and five against Michigan State and Ohio State since coming back to co- coach at the collegiate level, so – and the real question here is, are any of the teams that we just mentioned good? I, I don't know. Maybe. I I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think so, but it's hard to say. Um, I, I, I still no think. Idea. Uh, and also, I will say that 4-3 and three Purdue hasn't lost since they were 0-3. Um, I True. think that that team is going to go wreck some people's seasons. And just in time for TC to travel there in 2019. So Thank God Thanks. they have a large senior Thanks. class that's graduating this year. Yes, and also thank God that Jeff Brom will probably be at Louisville next year. So we got that going for us. That'd be nice. Yeah, be nice. Uh, Not for Granted, he turned down Tennessee, so. Yeah, but Tennessee. Fair. Fair enough. All right, moving along to the last game that we kind of wanted to feature tonight uh, from outside the Big 12. Washington State Cougars coming off of just probably the best day Pullman has ever seen. uh, On Saturday from... Game day finally coming after 216 straight college football weeks of the Washington State flag being other places all the way through an entire day-long party until that evening when they got to play a football game after, uh, you know, waiting for, uh, for, for game day for so long. They get to play, and they go out, and they absolutely lay the hammer down on Oregon pretty much from the get-go. They were winning 27 to nothing at halftime. Oregon made a little bit of a run in the third quarter before Washington State put them away in the fourth. Uh, just an impressive, impressive day from Washington State. They currently are sitting at 6-1, and one, and now they go to Stanford, who's struggled a little bit this year, but is still ranked. They're 5-2. and two. Who do you have in this game? Well, um, as per uh, usual, I, when we cover a Stanford game, I get to say, hey, I'll be at that game Saturday night. <laughs> hope, my parents, hope my parents don't listen to the podcast because I'm surprising them. Um, don't worry, they don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> I'm sending <laughs> it to them. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I think it's going to be a fun atmosphere. You know, it's a late afternoon game. Uh, Stanford students are actually back in school finally, which is nice. Uh I, I think that Washington State is a better football team than Stanford. 
Defensively, they're strong, but they aren't as dominant as they've been. Bryce Love is, is not healthy. KJ Costello has been really, really inconsistent. Uh, the only the way that Sanford wins this game is if Mike Leach gets up ten with seven minutes to go and decides to keep throwing the football, which he does every time they lose to Stanford. So if he out, outsmarts himself on Saturday night, I think the Cardinal can get the win. But ultimately, I'm I'm picking a UW to to roll in this one, and I'm sorry, Brian. You mean, Washington, you mean Washington State. You mean Wazoo, uh, not UW. Wazoo, yeah, I'm going to UW next week. So, you know, gotcha. I just, I'm, yeah, I'm making the Apple Cup rotation by myself. It'll be fun. It's all good. So here's a question for you, because Washington State is 6-1. and one. They have a couple pretty big games left. Obviously, Stanford, they got to play Colorado in Colorado, uh, and then they wrap up with the Apple Cup, as you mentioned, against Washington on November 23rd. Right now, the leader in the south is utah at five and two so if washington state runs the table and they win the pac-12 championship over either utah or, or usc or probably the two options there maybe colorado if they get their stuff together um does washington state make the college football playoff with a loss i think a one loss washington state against a one loss loss michigan or ohio state does not get in but if the Big Ten team has two losses, then it's a possibility. The other thing you have to consider is the Big 12. A one-loss Texas that beats OU twice gets in over a one-loss Washington State. But what a about one-loss a... OU? Yeah. A little more iffy. Um, I, I think that you need Utah to keep winning. It has to be a 10 or 11 win Utah team um, that, that Wazoo beats um, for them to have a shot. They just like it's it's gonna it's gonna feel a lot like TCU in 2014. This is not a team that people want in the playoffs. The people that matter, at least. Sure. Um, so they're gonna need some help along the way. If they if they are one of three one loss teams, they're probably the third choice. But it's it's gonna it's gonna depend how everything kind of shakes out on the whole. Yeah, I hear you there. I, I think that Texas or OU makes it in over Washington State. Definitely a Big Ten team makes it in. Realistically, still, you know, you've got Clemson sitting there. You've got, um, uh, gosh, LSU at one loss. They're probably not going to get past Alabama. So you've got Alabama. You've got Notre Dame. You've got a Clemson team that's probably not going to lose at this point. Uh, and then you've got one more spot for a Big Ten yeah. team, a Big 12 team, or a Pac-12 team. And it's probably going to be Michigan or Ohio State. Yeah, I, th I think you're right, and I like, think that it, it, it's gonna, you know if you have a chance to get a brand name in, they're going to get a brand name in. That's what we've seen. But so. we'll see. We'll see now. Like, say Texas does run the table and they've got one loss. Does a one-loss Texas team get in over a one-loss Ohio State team? Yeah, yeah. You if think they so? beat OU, yeah, if they beat OU twice, and that's those are the only two losses that OU has. One loss Texas absolutely gets in. They don't want to. They don't want to touch Ohio State if they don't have to this year. If they have any reason not to put the Buckeyes in, and they can they can go with another brand name, they won't. Now, if it's the Buckeyes or Wazoo, I think they go with the Buckeyes. But that's a caustic team to have around, and, and I think they would rather avoid that if at all possible. And Texas man is going to draw eyeballs in a huge, huge way. It, it's. That's their dream scenario, I think, right now, is the Longhorns actually being back. What if, what if it's Texas-Michigan? Whew. 
I, mm, I still think, I think, if, I think Texas beating an 11 and one OU team in the big 12 championship that will be a top 10 team probably is enough to vault them. And if, and the fact that, that Texas will have ra- uh, rallied off, you know, 12 straight wins to do it. I, I think that's, I think at that point you have to give them the resume of a national college football playoff participant. And yeah. I will leave the state of Texas. Dang. <laughs> All right. Let, let's, uh, let's get to some questions, Melissa. Uh, we have several from the website and several more on Twitter. Uh, this, these first few questions come from TCU Doug. Uh, do we have too many plays that are either runs, bubble screens, or other passes at the line of scrimmage, thereby encouraging the opponent to crowd the box and stop us? I think we have the plays in our playbook that they're confident in us running. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so too. And I think we saw TCU open that up a little bit on Saturday. So yeah, maybe that continues to be the case. Uh, realistically, when you have speed guys like this, bubble screens and tunnel screens and you know quick passes over the middle can be incredibly effective even if people know that they're coming. It's just yeah, a matter of getting true. the ball out on time and into the right spot. Uh, is Grayson Mulestein ready to go in case something happens to Collins? Would we go wild frog heavy with Shewo if Collins goes down? I mean, Grayson's been around since year five. Yeah. You have to believe that he can go out and execute. Now, what he's capable of physically, who knows? But you can't say that he won't know what's expected of him and, and, and won't know the playbook as well as anybody. And I guess we'd be remiss. Parker would yell at us again if we continued to call it the wild frog instead of the thing that he has dubbed it. You can say that. <laughs> yeah, Parker wants us to call, call that uh, formation the frog bone. I don't know how I feel about it. But moving right along to the next question. <laughs> Does the new redshirt rule encourage us to try and get some late season game time for Justin Rogers, or is the risk of re-injury too great? I think if he's cleared to play and he's healthy, get him some game action stats while you can. Um, now, that also is going to be dependent on how the offensive line looks. But, it, but if that kid, it, it doesn't cost him eligibility. It's an injury risk. But if he's healthy, let him play. If he's not healthy, let him sit. Uh, the drop foot can, is concerning to me. I don't, I don't know that a quarterback who is coming off of a major knee injury with a, an offensive line that has as many question marks as this one does, I'm not sure I want to put him in that situation. Realistically, I think it's just best at this point to sit him, uh, let him continue to, to get healthy in practice, and even if he is fully healthy, yeah, maybe you get him a snap or two near the end of the year, but let's not just put – let's – Realistically, like that guy could very well be the quarterback of the future for this thing. Let's not let's sure. not waste him uh, on a season that we all are, are going to try our best to forget about when it's over. Yeah, no, I think I think that's very fair. Uh, this next question, next two questions uh, come from Purple Link. Uh, why are we seeing Shewo more than Anderson? Is it some sort of durability issue? I mean, you, I feel like you can kind of speak to that one because as you pointed out a couple of times, we're not seeing Shaywoo more than, uh, than Darius yeah. Anderson at this point, aren't we? No, we're not really. I mean, I think, uh, let me look it up on, on GoFrogs really quickly, but I think they're still pretty even as far as carries are concerned. Uh, they both got sat against Texas Tech in favor of Amari yeah. DeMarcado after they had fumbles in that game. 
Uh, and Patterson pretty much named, I th- he was pretty much asked why we're not seeing more Darius Anderson. And it, he came out and said that Anderson isn't blocking well in pass protection right now, and that's keeping him off the field. Uh, and if that's the case, then the guy needs to start blocking better because he, he is our best running back. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I, and I think I said it earlier on this podcast, uh, you know, you, he doesn't have to pass protect if you just hand him the football and let him run. And would that really be the first, the worst thing in the world to give Darius Anderson 20, 25 carries against Kansas on Saturday? Probably not. Yeah, Probably not. Shot. Realistically. Uh, let me see. Go Frogs is taking forever right now. Ever since they re-updated this website, it's just, it takes forever to load. There's a lot, there's, there's a lot going on in the new look site. Yeah, there really is. I like it. I think the layout is really cool. Yeah. Cool. I don't like the new roster format. It's because you got to scroll forever. No, it's really annoying, uh, yeah. But as far as like file, filtering through stats, once you finally get there, it's pretty nice. Yeah, so Darius Anderson has 71 carries on the year. Shaywo has 75. So yeah. they're getting, they're splitting time, like as much as you can possibly split time. Anderson's averaging yeah. five and a half yards a carry to Shaywo's 4.4. 4. 4. Um, but yeah. So there, this, there's, a, I don't know how it got started. Maybe it's just the eyeball test because Shaywa starts every game. But Anderson is not, is not losing time to Shaywa at this point. They're just, they're splitting, they're splitting time really yeah, evenly. Splitting time. Um, uh, this question comes from Misanthropic Frog. Uh, if your offensive line is getting run over, don't you run screens and draws to slow the rush a little, or am I behind the times? I think I feel like misanthropic frog needs to talk to TCU Doug. Yeah, you guys, you guys could have a good conversation about that. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, the, the play calling is something that we've we've talked a lot about. I think this season. Um, I think what that comes down to is is we're we're not there in practice. We're not there in the film room. We don't know what Doug Meacham. I mean, uh, Ooh. wow. Sonny Cumbie and Curtis Looper are seeing in there. Um, and, and you know, again, I think that they, they were trying to protect their injured quarterback. Uh, and, and we've been running a lot of screens. Um, we've not been running a lot of draws. But that's also because I don't think that anyone really trusts running backs right now either. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, that was that was pretty apparently the game plan against Ohio State to try and slow down Nick Bosa a little bit. Uh, the yeah. tempo that TCU ran on those first two, three possessions was absolutely unreal. And it was yeah. all stuff out into the flat. It was all screens and it was with the run and it was incredibly efficient against a defensive line. That's arguably the best defensive line in the country. Yeah. Um, now you've, you've lost a lot of confidence since then as an offensive line and as an offense on the whole. So how efficient that kind of tempo would be now, I'm not, I'm not sure uh, it would be worth trying. Uh, but realistically, you've got it. You've got to have those kinds of plays in your playbook, and you've got to throw it deep every once in a while. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully we see that. Uh, some questions. Yeah. Some questions from Twitter. Uh, Steve Stoughton asks, "Do we make it to six wins and a bad bowl game?" Uh, yeah, I think we might be staying home for Christmas, folks. I think we make it. I think we get to six. Yeah, like I think I we said, get the six and we play in our home stadium. Do you think we get the Armed Forces Bowl? I do. I really do. I think we get the Armed Forces Bowl. Well, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It'd be better than 
like the something bowl in Orlando, yeah, Orlando like, that like nobody I, travels to. So yeah, well, and I think I said something on Twitter that if we're gonna if we're gonna get win six games and play in a garbage bowl, let's play in the garbage bowl that allows all the folks that cover TCU to stay home for Christmas. Right. So that I would be completely okay with the Armed Forces Bowl if 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 we're a six win team, and I don't think that Patterson or the players would be upset about that either. Let's play in a game, be done by Christmas, let the guys go home and wipe the slate clean for a couple of weeks, come back refreshed in January, ready to get ready for 2019. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this one comes from our good friend, Great Davies Ghost, Ace Gadion on Twitter. Uh, the NFL has transitioned personnel, or sorry, the NFL has transitioned personnel who help players adjust to life, both in and after pro football. My brother-in-law's former teammate at Princeton is one. Do universities do anything similar? Uh, yeah, I'm fairly certain. Uh, but I think they've got staff that are, that are really there to help, uh, help freshmen transition, help transfers transition. But I think a lot of that is also put on some of the older guys in the program to really make sure that those guys are doing the things that they need to do as far as getting to class and that they're getting all the things they need, retutoring and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know that there's a specific person who does that that's designated for that, but uh, I'm sure that there are programs in place for helping guys transition at the next level. Yeah, well, they do They do a whole, like, specific freshman orientation thing, and there are several staff members who I think's main goal, like, within the program is to, to, to specifically help with that. They have guys that check on them in class, and like you mentioned, all the study resources, but I, I think TC does a good job of that from everything I've heard. Yeah. Uh, this next question comes from Will Taylor. Which game do you think Justin Rogers will make his first appearance? I don't think it happens this season. I do. Um, I think he plays. Uh, I think that we see him, I will say, not at West Virginia, but potentially Baylor and Oklahoma State. If it happens, I think it's Oklahoma State, but I still don't. I don't the drop foot scares me. It really does. Yeah. And, and I hope they don't put him on the field if he's not fully comfortable yeah, moving around on that. Absolutely. Um, and this last question of the night comes from Chris Allison, our lovely tailgate host every Saturday out in the tennis lot. Uh, it's a two-part question. Nope. Definitely not the tennis lot. God, I did it again. The soccer <laughs> lot. I don't understand. Yeah, I know where it is. I make it there every week. But for some reason, I still yeah. call it the tennis lot. Anyways. Uh, let's see here. Uh, it's a two part question, even though there was no bet, but there should have been, how do you feel about knowing that, uh, coach Melissa was right about the number of snaps Collins would get? First of all, I feel fine about it knowing that I work with a completely competent, uh, and capable <laughs> football person, uh, known do as Melissa Trebowasser. Yeah, absolutely. Also, wasn't that just lucky? That was just a lucky guess. I mean, one of us was going to be right. <laughs> So it might as well be you. Uh, And then the second part of the question is, what are we doing about getting Wild Acre Brewing to officially sponsor the tailgate? Uh, I I have done literally nothing to do that. Yeah, I mean, Parker, get it together, bud. Um, (laughs) That's on him. Um, no, I, I, you know what, we, like we've mentioned before, we're all four sponsors. If you want to be the person that, uh, provides us with, with beverages on the regular, then we will talk about you for, you know, at least 75 of the 90 minutes of the podcast. And I don't you, think anyone would be upset by that. We will give you a and glowing review. Yeah. And stickers. Absolutely. 
Uh, and with that, this has been the Frogs War podcast. You can find us wherever podcasts reside on the interwebs. Uh, if you would, dear listener, please go to iTunes and give us a rating and review. It really does help put us in more ears, and we like it when we're in more ears because that means we're interacting with more people online and on the website, which is frogsawar.com. We hope that you go and read all of the wonderful content that's up this week. Even though it's a down season, we've still got some incredible stuff getting posted on the website every day. So I hope you go and interact with the writers there. Uh, we do love to chat about the things that we write, and we do love to chat about TCU. That's why we do this in the first place. Uh, so we love you and we're thankful that you're sticking with us, even though this has been a bummer of a season to this point, hopefully it gets better starting Saturday. And with that, and it's almost basketball, it is almost basketball season, November 7th. Can't get here quickly enough. And with that, I'm Jamie Plunkett. Melissa Trebowasser. The frogs. Go frogs.